Good morning slash evening, and welcome to the Calories and Rice podcast, the second best China Africa podcast you've ever heard. Broadcasting from the heart of global China Africa research, Washington, D.C., I'm your host, Winslow Robertson, and I will be joined by the limber Dr. Nkemjika Kalu. Dr. Kalu, how was your week? Did you enjoy... It was a really good week. Oh, sorry. Did you enjoy the snow day we had on Tuesday? Um, I, I, I actually don't think that Tuesday counts as a snow day um, because in Nebraska we needed at least 10 more inches of snow before we had snow days. But I did enjoy my Tuesday. Thank you. Uh, how much snow did we have in the city? Um, not very much. I know that we had um, maybe an inch and an, or an inch and a half on my back porch, but it didn't look like we got that much snow. And what and what made your week so good? Um, I got to see the pre-screening of the um, Mandela Long Walk to Freedom that stars Idris Elba and Naomi Harris on Tuesday, and that was wonderful. And then um, I got some chances also to make some new friends, and um, and just I got some work done. It was a, it was a productive week. So yeah, oh, fantastic. Good to hear. All right, moving on. Today's episode is brought to you by our two sponsors, Africa Development Jobs and the Africa Daily. African Development Jobs, a site run by Nino Oduro, seeks to connect development workers with professional development resources and work opportunities in Africa. On a quest to help diversify development, it highlights the voices and issues of Africans and the diaspora in the field. It is also the best site for finding employment in the development field in Africa that I know of. The Africa Daily is an online communications platform that provides the most up-to-date journalistic and academic information on China-Africa relations. The form incorporated in the website also facilitates the cultural and informational exchange among the diaspora communities in major Chinese and African cities. Nelson Mandela died two weeks ago on Thursday, December 5th. He was an anti-apartheid activist, revolutionary, human rights icon, and South Africa's first black president serving from 1994 to 1999. He also had some connection to China, which Mr. Bob Wakesa, PhD student at Communications University of China in Beijing, and research associate with the WITS China Africa Reporting Project based at the University of Witwatersand in Johannesburg, South Africa, detailed in his excellent article, Mandela and the China Connection, published by the China Daily Africa edition in August earlier this year. And he had an updated, not version of that, another article um, on that. Uh, entitled A Road Well Traveled that, that was published following Mandela's death. In addition, he recently was a guest on the China Africa Project podcast with Eric Olander and Dr. Kobus van Staden, where he talked about that piece in more detail. Bob is a specialist on Africa-China media relations and his writing can be found on the China Daily, The Nation, our sponsor, The Africa Daily, and more. Bob, great to have you on the show again, although I wish it was under more pleasant circumstances. How have you been? No, it's been been great. Uh, You know, through the week, we just, uh, you know, following Mandela, and uh, much as it was morning, it was also time for, you know, nice, uh, reflective thoughts. I I couldn't agree more. Um, And I I wanted to ask you specifically, how, how is your research coming along? Do you have any publications to look out for in the coming months? Yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, basically writings uh, on the China-Africa media relations, uh, some uh, you know peer-reviewed journal papers coming along. Yeah. And sorry, any journals in particular to look out for? 
Right. I think my my one journal uh, paper, you know, you know, journal of uh, African journalism studies uh, came out uh, uh, last month, um, looking at uh, uh, media trend, trend Africa media trends. Uh, there is one more coming along at uh, you know journal of African media studies based at um, Westminster University in the UK. And uh, I'm also studying, uh, you know, Chinese communication models and how they are panning out in Africa, you know, looking at uh, the whole concept of uh, positive vis-a-vis -vis constructive journalism uh, and, and so forth. So really I have some like four journal papers lined up. Uh, some already submitted, one or two more to, you know, going through the final phases of uh, editing. Well, you sound like a crazy man for writing all that and all these op-eds and all these articles and being a, a guest on this podcast. So thank you for your insane output. All right. Thanks, man, for your uh, you know, compliment. <laughs> all right. Um, today's episode will discuss Mandela's China connection and the role of memory in that connection. Uh, Bob, how have Chinese people and the Chinese government been able to reconcile the different aspects of Mandela's life, the revolutionary, the freedom fighter, the human rights icon, the jailed dissident, etc. You have touched upon that in your podcast with Eric and Dr. Van Staden, but I was hoping that you'd flesh it out a little more. And uh, in addition, I was hoping you could give your thoughts on the Chinese neo-left's reaction to Mandela being overpraised, and that's a, a quote I take from them, um, by Chinese state media, which was brought to my attention by Jeremiah Jenny from his excellent blog, Jottings from the Granite Studio. Uh, right, I think uh, my initial thoughts on this would be that um, uh, Chinese media, Chinese people, Chinese uh, leaders have uh, basically focused a little more on uh, the confluence between Mandela and um, China generally, of course, there have been uh, comparisons between uh, the two greatest sons of uh, South Africa, Mandela, uh, on the one hand, and um, uh, Mao Zedong on the other hand. Um, I would have wished that there could have been a little more comparison between Mandela and, say, uh, Deng Xiaoping, uh, you know, he of, uh, you know, black cats, white cats, and mice, <laughs> very cool. Um, but uh, of, of course, um, there's been, uh, like I mentioned earlier, you know, focus on the points of, uh, you know, agreement, points of conference, where the, you know, Chinese people, Chinese leaders, Chinese media are focusing on um, how Mandela was inspired by China and Macedon, um, you know, courtesy of uh, his readings of uh, Macedon works. Um, as pointed out in both uh, of his, uh, you know, autos, autobiographies, uh, you know, long walk to freedom and uh, conversation with myself, uh, where he actually pointed out that uh, he was actually inspired by Macedon. And then, of course, there's uh, been um, globally, you know, every, you know, it seems to me, and I think that is reflected in the media, it's been, um, you know, in a trend towards. Uh, all nations kind of saying what are the you know lessons we learned from Mandela or what how does uh, Man how, how did Mandela's life uh, meet with our own including uh, you know 
countries in the West, African countries and so forth. So I think it was only um, you know, a given that China also looked to have a piece of Mandela. Um, <laughs> of course, the, you mentioned issues to do with the human rights and uh, clearly those have not uh, really uh, been uh, reflected in the media or mentioned by the leaders for, you know, probably obvious reasons. <laughs> um, but uh, I'll, I'll have, um, uh, you know, pointed out as well that uh, in the unsaid bits and pieces of the adoration and the admiration of Mandela, uh, these have actually, like uh, I mentioned earlier, followed a global uh, kind of, uh, you know, tech. Um, but and of course, um, as far as the new left or new left, uh, you know, column in China is concerned, they, they, I've seen those pieces that are indicator articles and the views that uh, seem to indicate that uh, the Chinese new left uh, will have rather that uh, Chinese media and Chinese people, you know, who went to Sinaweibo and other uh, social networking sites to celebrate Mandela should not have done or should not have gone overboard as uh, it was uh, evident uh, throughout. Um, and then I think uh, in uh, their, in my opinion, reactionary uh, approach, they even attempted to say, no, look, uh, Mao Zedong was greater than Mandela. Obviously, if you look at the celebration of Mandela globally, and as everybody has actually pointed out, including Li uh, Yong, who is a Chinese author himself, mm. who has written on Mandela, um, there is no doubt that uh, Mandela perhaps uh, at this point in time might uh, emerge as, and even going forward in history for probably a couple of years, uh, might go down the annals of history as perhaps the greatest person. Remember, the UN actually uh, gave him, uh, you know, a, a day, you know, a day is named or designated in his uh, name, you know, July 18th, uh, his uh, birthday, which is the only UN day that has been given to any, any person. So I think in uh, their reactionary way, the new left of China might have been uh, looking at Mandela supplanting their hero. <laughs> and I think they, they might have uh, been jaundiced to uh, you know, try and uh, ratchet up and try to push Mandela onto a higher pedestal vis-a-vis uh, -vis, um, Mandela. But I, I think they, made, uh, they make a, a grievous mistake. One, because as many people have uh, rightly pointed out, uh, Mandela is, uh, was incomparable uh, to many other leaders for the various virtues that, uh, and principles that he stood for and believed. Uh, and, and, and secondly, even as Mandela himself pointed out, he was no saint and uh, he made his uh, mistakes in the uh, you know, personal life and certain, uh, in fact, even political choices at some point. But it's only that um, he was humble enough to admit when he failed and, 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 and so forth. So really, uh, if we look at uh, Mao Zedong and we look at uh, Mandela, on the other hand, we find that uh, both were great leaders, yes. Mm -hmm. One was more kind of celebrated globally than the other, and, uh, you know, uh, but uh, ultimately, uh, Mao Zedong really uh, is respected, particularly in uh, terms of uh, leading the long march, which is actually resonates with the long walk, <laughs> uh, leading, to, 
leading to the proclamation of uh, New China in 1949. Indeed, if you look at um, uh, the leadership, the second generation of Chinese leadership uh, from the late 1970s, from the mid to late 1970s, under Deng Xiaoping, they, 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 they actually reviewed uh, Mao Zedong's contribution and said as long as he was in line with uh, the Communist Party of China, he was right. But at the point when he unilaterally went, took positions that uh, were not, uh, you know, collectively, you know, decided he might have veered off the road. And I guess this was in reference to the Great Leap Forward uh, of the late 50s to early 1960s, as well as the so-called uh, cultural, uh, great cultural proletariat revolution of 1966 uh, going into the late 70s. Um, so, so I'll, um, you know, take the view that uh, the new left perhaps uh, was looking to reclaim uh, a Mao Zedong, uh, you know, adulation that uh, runs counter to the, you know, to the times in, in this time of uh, mourning and celebration of Mandela. Oh, I, no, I, I, I make some really excellent points. I, you know, as, as an American, the American government has not necessarily always been the best of friends to Nelson Mandela and the way different um, aspects of uh, American government and, and American political parties are trying to reposition themselves as having always been friends of Nelson Mandela is also um, an, interesting, an interesting game that we've been playing in, in, in my country. Um, so it's, I, I understand the glow of Nelson Mandela and, and how, to, how to claim it quite well. Um, but, but yeah, uh, Dr. Kalu, do you have a, a question for um, uh, Bob? Um, I think it, it's interesting to see how you made the um, the, the ties between um, the cultural revolution in China, you know, the, the long march and um, the long walk in in South Africa. One of the things that um, has come out in some of the criticisms of Nelson Mandela's life and work, especially towards the latter end in South Africa, is how um, there's yet to be um, an emotional, not emotional, in, sorry, that's not accurate, um, an economic emancipation of the South African people, um, the poorest of the poor, um, and even those that aren't the poorest of the poor remain really, really poor in South Africa. South Africa's educational system is um, only better than Somalia's in Africa. And these are some inherent problems that you would have thought might have been addressed by um, the first black president, um, but they weren't, and it's continued to be a bigger problem for the South African society. Um, but um, we haven't seen well, at least not in my knowledge of um, China, which, again, is based primarily on China, Africa, not so much um, on some of the intricacies of um, the Communist Party and, and, and rule of law in China. But um, what, are you, what are some of your thoughts along those lines? Because um, in many ways, it's great to celebrate the life of Nelson Mandela and the wonderful things that he's done with regards to racial reconciliation, but the job's not done and there's still yet quite a lot that needs to be done for the South African people and by the South African people. Sure, sure. Um, you recall one of the uh, disagreements, uh, you may call them, uh, that probably is a better word, 
but uh, this agreement will do for now. Um, between Mandela and uh, Winnie Mandela at some point, I guess uh, you know Winnie Mandela at some point had uh, very serious altercations with uh, Mandela probably, I'm not too sure, but uh, probably 2009 or 2010, uh, when uh, Winnie actually pointed out that Mandela was actually living in Houghton, uh, very uh, upper class uh, neighborhood in Johannesburg. Uh, when uh, Winnie herself was still living in Soweto, in um, you know the low class, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, some allocation within Joburg uh, that is uh, for the you know poor, they say, put it that way. Um, and, and therefore, really, there's been uh, some level of criticism. And I did mention that much as we celebrate Mandela, indeed. He was uh, on the human, and he himself recognized that. And, 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 and therefore, there's been a thought that perhaps he liberated the country in terms of um, uh, busting the racial division uh, system that was in place, as well as delivering uh, the blacks, uh, you know, Africans, uh, from uh, uh, being subjugated. But at the same time, that that did not quite amount to economic rights. Now, um, economic rights and economic well-being was supposed to have been uh, ideally, uh, you know, in the, you know, the role of the leadership that took over, you know, Fabian Becky, Zuma, and, and so forth. So, in, in, in essence, in my view, we'll say that um, Mandela played a role. The leadership that took over perhaps will have uh, taken up that role and uh, run with it. In the recent past, there have been uh, alleg you know, allegations and uh, uh, controversies involving. Um, cases of corruption and, and so forth. Uh, and then therefore that is a test for the new leadership, uh, for the leadership that is in place now rather, you know, the Zuma, Jacob Zuma uh, leadership. You saw that uh, it was quite a major embarrassment and humiliation for him to be booed at uh, the FNB uh, stadium in um, Jogak during yeah. <laughs> the memorial time and so forth. Um, and, and then that just goes to, uh, the, the similar, you know, you know issues there, arise in China, uh, the, the issues of the, you know, several millions of people who are still stuck in poverty, particularly in uh, the western, uh, northwestern parts of uh, the country. You recall that um, at the beginning of uh, China's, uh, you know, reform and opening up, which has uh, indeed uh, led to the very first test of uh, Development leading to you know China becoming uh, the second world, uh, the second biggest economy in the world, and being on course. Some people say to, to be take the number one slot in 2016. The, the, the government then uh, decided to you know party state uh, and decided to focus first on the eastern coastal cities and so forth. So in the, in both cases. Uh, of uh, China and South Africa, even may do a comparison uh, here, even if it's uh, only pseudo uh, analysis, uh, we will uh, then see that um, in the South African case, there was a choice between, first of all, breaking the racial barriers uh, and delivering the country at the political level, or with the understanding that uh, economic uh, rights will be the remit of uh, the subsequent leadership, while over here in China, I think it might have been thought that, um, like Deng Xiaoping himself uh, pointed out, uh, some people will have to get rich first, then others uh, follow, which is really 
that's a very pragmatic but controversial uh, approach as well. But in both cases, we see sacrifices, uh, you know, having to make very pragmatic choices of uh, the path to take. Uh, having said that, I think um, if uh, you uh, visit South Africa today, you will actually see some level of uh, harmony uh, among, of course, they are festering, um, you know, um, challenges, the, the, the complaints. You know the case of uh, people like Malema and so forth who are battling yeah. for more economic rights and so forth. But uh, on, the, on the whole, at this point in time, you see a level at which there is, if you go to universities like Vits or others, and uh, you, you, you see that people, black, white, you know, are, are sitting in the same office as equals and, and so forth. But anyway, challenges still remain going ahead. Uh, wow, that's yeah, a... those are my views of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. One of the things, um, no, and I, I, you make a lot of valid points that I really agree with, and um, the, the Winnie and Winnie and um, Winnie Mandela and Nelson Mandela disagreements. Um, I, I think that that could almost be a different, um, a separate podcast because you know we we talk a lot about the contributions that um, Nelson Mandela was able to make. Um, um, especially, you know, towards uh, the peaceful res- resolution of what had been a violent, uh, uh, the, the 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 violence between the races from the from the white apartheid government and, and the, the the black um, populace that was subjugated by the government. But in some ways, you know, he wouldn't have been able to negotiate that peace without the pressure that um, Winnie and and some of the people that Winnie was working with. Um, without the pressure that they continue to put on the government from the outside, um, but um, I think that one of the things that you, that you've t- you've t- you've touched upon, and it's a very important conversation moving forward for South Africa, is do they have the necessary leadership? Do they have the right sort of leadership to deal with um, the pressing policy concerns moving forward as a nation? Because if they don't, how you know how how can we be sure that we don't we don't have a situation. I mean, they do live in peace, and 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 that that needs to be um, underscored continuously. You know, South Africans live in peace and harmony together, and um, a lot of the uh, the voices that say otherwise are few but loud. Um, but that's not that's not the case with most situations. But one of you know, in in looking at, for instance, the memorial service, you know. I, I don't think that there was really any leadership that stood up, domestic leadership that stood up, that looked like they would have um, the right the right sort of perspective and foresight to really begin to address these issues that, you know, were not appropriate, perhaps, for Mandela to have addressed coming in as the first president. Um, from your from your knowledge of South Africa, um, what, what, I mean, what is your response to that? No, I, I think uh, South Africa now goes into the, you know, the sort of uh, a new phase, uh, post-Mandela phase, uh, phase uh, in the sense that uh, while Mandela was alive, he was a reference point, and uh, to that extent, people say, no, look, Mandela will look down upon that. But um, we must be, you know, acutely aware that uh, uh, the, you know, the, the big uh, mining companies including uh, diamonds in them and so forth, involved in uh, including the media industry and, and other manufacturing sectors are squarely in the hands of uh, a rather minority and, I dare say, uh, mostly white. Um, 
in uh, terms of uh, you know distribution of that resource, those resources, uh, it remains a challenge. Equally, in terms of issues to do with land and um, talking of land, uh, you know, because the, the uh, white community will represent perhaps 10% of the population or thereabouts, um, but. Uh, probably has much more land holding because of historical reasons and uh, probably they will not want to let go of that. Uh, I think that is an issue that uh, perhaps because of the need to reconcile, uh, you know, reconciliation taking precedence uh, at that point, you know, 1990 onwards, uh, it will, perhaps it has remained an issue that uh, will have required um, further you know, addressing, and uh, that's where the leadership of Jacob Zuma uh, comes in. You know, what people worry that, uh, for example, um, a sign language, uh, you know, person, <laughs> uh, will, uh, you know, experts or whatever, I, I think they're called sign language uh, people. Uh, an uh, interpreter, uh, I believe. Uh, hello? Uh, an, yeah. A sign language yeah. interpreter. Interpreter, yeah, right, right. Thanks for helping us. Um, we will put, uh, you know, that duty on a solemn occasion such as that. Um, it, it might be a minute thing uh, or big, as you may wish, but uh, it might be indicative of some, uh, you know, level of uh, uh, lack of seriousness or lack of proper oversight and so forth, and that might reflect in other uh, more serious issues with greater implications. Uh, and in fact, when you look at some of these issues, you need to look at countries in Africa that um, emerged from similar situations. And the case in point is Zimbabwe, where, um, you know, as you know, turmoil has, uh, uh, you know, economic uh, downturn and, and so forth has uh, really brought the country down its knees. And I'm sure this is passed beyond the, this podcast. I am Kenyan, and um, equally in Kenya, you know, there was a similar situation to South Africa in that uh, the independence there was actually a very hard-won uh, freedom fight, um, uh, you know, the military kind of. And then the, some of the land issues and so forth were swept under the carpet, uh, uh, you know, in Kenya until uh, the 2007-2008 election when this boiled to the surface. Of course, with the... Uh, uh, contextual differences with the South Africa, but generally uh, similar situation. So really, uh, these and other matters uh, uh, indicative of a need for perhaps uh, uh, in a proper leadership going forward. And um, since the elections are going to be held in South Africa next year, one wonders uh, uh, how it will pan out, but that perhaps will be the, the platform on which uh, the political, uh, you know, dynamics will play out, perhaps will revolve around uh, South Africa post-Mandela, where do we go? I think South Africa might, must, after today's barrier of uh, uh, Mandela must be in a, you know, uh, soul-searching mode. I, wow, I, I know, that's, uh, that, that's, that's really, really interesting. I, there was um, a, a piece, I think actually, I don't know the Wall Street Journal, like uh, talking about uh, Mandela's change in economic um, policy, but going from wanting to nationalize everything and then as having that as a policy platform th for the ANC, and then and then towards the towards the fall of apartheid, um, changing out of that of that position. I'll, I'll try to link to it. I'm gonna try and, and, and move this back to to sort of the China discussion. And one thing that I, I I'm I'm really interested in is all right. 
So China claims it does not interfere in the affairs of other countries, in, in, in particular regards to Africa, and that's a claim that I believe isn't true and, and, and has never been true, but that's something personal to me. Uh, but Mandela's connection to China is based on no small part to Chinese interference in the anti-apartheid struggle, uh, the African National Congress and Pan-Africanist Congress conflict, the Sino-Soviet split, uh, you know, Walter Sisulu, uh, learning, learning guerrilla tactics, trade and uh, not, not trade um, uh, arms and training for a lot of uh, apartheid anti-apartheid uh, freedom fighters in, in, in Tanzania how has the media discussed the issue because if Mandela is a long friend of China that that particular moment in time is why he's a long friend in China when China was getting into it in 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 South Africa and in addition, considering that China did actually trade with apartheid South Africa unofficially, and it claims it did not, uh, it, how has South Africa, and particularly Mandela, dealt with with that relationship? Does, does that mean anything um, to to South Africans that that uh, that China did actually trade with with apartheid South Africa? Right. Uh, I'll start with the, the tail end of your, um, uh, you know, question. In that, uh, I'm not quite familiar with um, China's uh, trading with outside South Africa. The best, I think, at least based on uh, solid research, the best I've seen this is in, uh, you know, the book by Ambassador Shin and uh, Joshua. Yeah, Joshua Eisenman. Right. I think, I think they pointed out that uh, immediately after Mandela's release in 1990, um, the China established uh, some kind of uh, unofficial relations with Appetite uh, South Africa. And indeed, uh, Dick Potha, uh, I think it's called Dick uh, Potha, yeah? Um, yeah, Pick Botha, uh, yeah. I, I think it was the you know, foreign uh, minister for South Africa did visit here. And uh, similarly, Chinese uh, high, high officials at that level visited South Africa. And at that point, they established uh, study centers in Pretoria and in Beijing. Um, and, and therefore, that's uh, the, the, the limit which I know of uh, you know, trade relations during the apartheid era. Um, because, of course, the appetite, you know, kind of officially came to a close in 1994 when Mandela took over leadership of the rabout. And of course, sanctions were lifted only in 1993, and that's when also China uh, equally officially uh, you know, recognized uh, the, the, the you know, South Africa and started having official uh, kind of engagement. Um, it, but as to the interference... Well, I, 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 wanna, I just want to um, just say something real quick. Like, so China claimed in 1960 that it didn't trade with, with uh, the South African government, but in, in, the, in the Shin and, and Eisenman book, um, which like, I, I have right in, in front of me, like just on, on page 344, they're talking about uh, Chinese, China actually trading with South Africa, in particular the purchase of like uranium. And also South African arms manufacturing, uh, the uh, Arms Corps also had representation in Beijing in the early 1980s. So uh, that 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 
and, but it's like hidden, so it's it's might it's not necessarily well publicized. So I I, I understand um, if if a lot of people actually don't know about it. Oh sure, thanks thanks for indicating that to me. Probably we should uh, look it up. But in, in fact, in that case, you know, our, the, as the research community perhaps would want to, you know, going forward look uh, a little deeper into that, uh, as well as other matters. In fact, uh, I hope historians, uh, you know, of you know people, students of China-Africa relations, China-South Africa relations in particular, will perhaps speak some of the perspectives that are coming out. Uh, to flesh out on that and other issues. In fact, that also touches on um, the other bit of your question, which was the China's non-interference policy, uh, which also is a bit hazy uh, in particular respect of, uh, you know, links between China and the Pan-African Congress, as well as uh, China and the South African Communist Party, as well as China and the African National Congress. I think the, it is a, a forgotten conclusion, uh, you know, that uh, uh, the non-interference policy of China must be qualified. Uh, I think it is um, the non-interference policy historically China actually de does uh, admit, not quite just admit, but it celebrates the fact that it um, supplied arms and uh, uh, helped out with training uh, of, of uh, guerrilla fighters in uh, much of uh, Southern Africa, in the, the countries including uh, South Africa, uh, but uh, also Mozambique, Angola, Zimbabwe, uh, you know, using bases in Tanzania, which are basically training, uh, you know, points. So if that can be called uh, interference, then uh, so be it. Uh, and, and in fact, uh, one might actually, in the sense of qualifying, uh, that as non-interference or interference, one will say that uh, you know, the way China framed it was that actually they were supporting the liberation movement because the leadership in position at that time were not the popular leaderships led by the majority of people in, in those countries and that uh, uh, these were imperialist uh, colonial regimes that needed to be battled and therefore uh, so, I mean, China itself emerging from being dominated by Japan throughout those many years up to 1947, 48, thereabouts, who had an obligation to help, uh, you, know, you know, other countries that were still uh, in the same colonial kind of setup, having been in a semi-colonial state itself. Um, and therefore, it is framed not so much as uh, interference, but support for the majority in uh, those uh, in those countries and then of course when uh, we look at uh, that whole uh, issue we, we see that uh, probably in the very first phases which and which is why i say that i don't have the last word on this probably further research will uh, throw up more light i mean throw more light on the on the matter is the fact that um, uh, it appears the first group of people or fighters within south africa uh, that uh, China supported were ANC. I stand to be corrected on this because if if you look at uh, the little that we know at this point in time, which is you know in uh, biographies of uh, Raymond Mahalaba, who was one of uh, Mandela's uh, uh, comrades uh, whom, uh, in Robben Island, uh, as well as um, 
Andrew Lageni, Langeni, I think it's called, uh, and you know, people like Wilton Mukwai, who was also uh, a freedom fighter down in South Africa, and Ahmed Katrada, who was actually a South African Communist Party uh, leader, who is still alive as well. Uh, these uh, were, uh, in Kadrad actually, uh, Ahmed Kadrad, who was actually today at the funeral, I did see him, an old uh, man now, uh, did, in his biography, did point out that uh, it is possible that uh, China's first support for liberation uh, fighters, guerrilla training for these uh, people was in 1961 or 62, when uh, about five or six of ANC's leaders came over to trade in, I think, Nanjing uh, Military Academy. As wow. well as, uh, you know, in, in Nanjing, in southern China, as well as um, uh, in uh, things to do with radio, communication, and so forth, very crucial for, you know, military tactics and so forth. Um, but, but then you, 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 we must put this in context in that uh, at that point in time, China and Russia were also fighting mm -hmm. for dominance. Uh, in the South African context, uh, in what ensued then, then was that uh, China at that point viewed Russia as perhaps the biggest threat to uh, the version of uh, communism that uh, they wanted uh, to pursue. And therefore, where Russia supported one party in some African countries, uh, China will not perhaps deal with that um, you know, entity. In this case, China seemed to support Pan-African Congress rather than ANC in the earlier days, uh, while Russia supported the South African Communist Party, which uh, was then, um, you know, much as China might have wished to have dealt with, um, you know, the South African Communist Party. But, you know, things seem to have changed, uh, and I think this is also subject to further research. But my initial readings indicate that probably in the late 1970s into the early 1980s, China seems to have realized that, look, ANC was a stronger <laughs> you know, party. Uh, and, and, and therefore, at that point, they switched uh, you know, allegiances and, and uh, you know, backed up uh, you know, the uh, ANC, and, and which is why China actually also participated quite uh, you know, strongly in the global free Mandela kind of uh, protests and movements and, and, and so forth. So I, I, I guess uh, that will uh, be my, you know, perspective on uh, the non-interference policy. Wow, no, that's, that's, that's fascinating. And, and, I, and I think that, um, that no, that, that, that China celebrates this, this, per, this particular act and doesn't count it as, as interference, I think is, is really interesting. And, and something I, I, didn't, I didn't quite know about. And and yeah, just thank you for sharing that, and thank you for for going to that extensive detail about different aspects of. of in fact, perhaps I'll just throw in uh, one more perspective. You know, the some uh, you know you know thinkers or let's say scholars have pointed out that uh, a further reading of non-interference uh, policy can actually be seen in the sense that when China does uh, engage economically with an African country, uh, at the economic level, let alone political, um, that economic engagement itself is a form of uh, kind of interference. So I think we, we can have a purist uh, understanding of an interference, 
but we can also have a much more uh, expansive understanding of what an interference is. Oh no, that, that that's 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 fantastic, and and actually one of the future topics is going to discuss what is interference, and has China actively not interfered in in Africa? Because this is one of, for me, this is personally one of the major. When I read um, like a China Africa piece, or I hear somebody talk about China Africa, when they when when that person or that author says. Oh, China does not interfere in African affairs. Then I, I I look at everything they say afterwards in a particularly in a different light than had they had they qualified that statement. Um, I I I, th I think it's it's obvious that um, it might sound obvious, but I think what I, I understand to be the non-interference policy is uh, uh, a situation where in some countries, particularly. Uh, I'll give you an example. In the Kenyan elections, of, uh, uh, you know, that's away from uh, South Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, in the Kenyan elections of uh, 20 of this year, March 2013, uh, China really was. Uh, I mean, that is a case of an interference because here was uh, an opposition leader who has been known to be left-leaning, but China doesn't seem to have uh, gone out of its way to support him. But the incoming leadership was initially more, you know, uh, waist-leaning, you know, the leadership of Uhuru Kenyatta. Mm -hmm. uh, and then therefore, they, they stayed aloof uh, in, in, in those circumstances. Probably that is uh, what, it, what is meant by... Now, this compares, I think what the also can be read as non-interference is particularly when you compare that to, uh, say, the U.S., which will actively support uh, one side as long as... Uh, it feels that uh, that side of the political divide in an African country represents the values that uh, America stands for, you know, uh, things like democracy, human rights, and so forth. Oh, that's a, no, I, 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 a, a, a very good, um, a, a very good comparison and, and, and one that we'll have to ruminate on and, and hopefully discuss later. Um, and we have a, because we're running sh short on time, I'm going to skip one of the questions. Dr. Kalu, do you want to get in here before I ask it? Um, no, you can go ahead and ask. All right. Hey, Bob, how are Africans in China dealing with Mandela's death? What did he mean to them? Uh, no, definitely, like uh, the global um, African you know, diaspora and, and, and African uh, people in um, probably both in, on the continent, uh, home and uh, home and away, as it, you know, in, in court. Um, the, the Africans here have also been equally celebrating Mandela. Um, at, uh, it so happens, you know, coincidentally, and I, I, I'm not saying this to sort of, uh, you know, front Kenya, my country, but <laughs> it so happens that Friday, uh, Thursday basically was our 50th uh, anniversary uh, celebrations. Congratulations. And basically, the, the years, uh, you know, you know that's when, uh, and, and, and so at a, a party here in Beijing, the event actually just turned around and became a Mandela event. Um, and then, then the, uh, you, you know, we were celebrating Kenya, but uh, in the party, you know, we were playing music and uh, mostly South African songs came into play and songs basically recording Mandela and so forth. So as you could see that uh, 
Uh, people dance a little more vigorously when they play the <laughs> Mandela tunes and, and, and so forth. But, and actually, the, the other thing is that um, you know we have uh, we seem to have faith. I don't know if I'm speaking for myself, but I know quite a, a bit of uh, my buddies as well. Felt that uh, in Mandela, finally we had uh, an African leader who could be showcased as a representation of uh, African. Uh, capacity to provide uh, principled uh, leadership, uh, the kind of leadership that can uh, rise to global prominence and even perhaps uh, be seen as indomitable. Uh, this is particularly considering the fact that uh, elsewhere on the continent uh, leadership has been uh, you know, very wanting. So, you know, when we talk of uh, perhaps Africa will have uh, a, a good number of uh, a bigger share of dictators, if you wish, uh, or, or people who are seen as having butchered their, or started wars, you know, butchered their own people and, and, and so forth. So when you suddenly have uh, a, a black you know, man, uh, an African leader, uh, you know, rising to those uh, levels, you actually want to claim him, even if you are from Nigeria or Canada, <laughs> to claim him as, as your own and, and hang on to him. Even, uh, and, you know, we agreed with many of our South African friends that Mandela was African, not South African. <laughs> so those would be my, my views, yeah. Well, wow, that's... That, thank you for sharing such a, a, a personal story. And I, I do just want to add real quick, you know, as an American, we also have have had some really terrible leaders um, pr produced by ourselves and, and, and did have a, a closed society for much of our history. So I, I, I'm always a little loath to say, oh, you know, African leaders are X, but other leaders are Y. I think leaders in all over the world can have equal capacity to, for some terrible, terrible decisions. Um, but, um, but with that, any closing thoughts be before we move on to recommendations? For myself? Yeah. Okay, no, no, I, I, I think with, uh, no, look, Robert, uh, Robertson, rather, um, I, I think in uh, Mandela's uh, passing and uh, being in Beijing, I think there's, uh, I, it is a challenge to particular historians, and I'm not really a historian, I'm more of a media person, uh, or a media scholar. A, 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 lot, of, a lot of historians and, and journalists do a lot of the same stuff, so I, I'll, I'll put you in the club, yeah, sure. you're a historian now. It is, it is a social science, but, you know, we sometimes distinguish between the two and so forth, <laughs> and others, of course. But, but it will be a challenge for those who are inclined to go digging out, to, to just really use this occasion to even bring out a book or at least, you know, journal papers or some, you know, writings on Mandela and China, because I have a feeling that uh, there's a lot more out there than uh, we, we already know today. Uh, so those are my closing remarks that, uh, it, you know, Mandela is passing. And I, I, not just Mandela and China, but probably one who have been interested in knowing Mandela and, uh, you know, say, Margaret Thatcher, uh, because you recall in his uh, long walk to freedom, he did point out that uh, uh, Margaret Thatcher actually, uh, and, you know, okay, Margaret Thatcher in particular, uh, the UK Prime Minister at the time, was trying to dissuade him from going uh, on a worldwide, uh, you know, on a global tour of countries that had supported ANC, he seemed to uh, tell Mandela, no, look, now you live in London, why don't you go back to South Africa and just relax? An indication that Bob um, Starcher was very uncomfortable with, uh, you know, the role that they had played in propping up the <laughs> appetite regime. Similarly, 
in the case of yourself as an American, America generally, one might be interested in uh, knowing, um, you know, how it came to be that uh, Mandela was designated a terrorist by the U.S. government up till only recently. And a tidbit of that, you know, some of these records that are now coming, you know, the, being released from historical, you know, archives would be very helpful to shedding light on uh, past happenings. No, I, I, I agree. As, as a historian, I'm, I, I'm so, I'm so curious about, about uh, exploring these, these different, these different connections. And, and while we, we do know maybe a little bit more about um, uh, the U.S. government and, and, and South Africa and, and the British government in South Africa than, than, than China and South Africa, I, I do, I do genuinely hope with time, a whole bunch of you know young, eager masters and PhD students are going to be just throwing open the doors and writing about uh, China's connection with South Africa because I think it's a, a very uh, pregnant topic and, um, and, and yeah, I can't wait to see what, what happens. Um, Alright, we're going to go to recommendations. So, Bob, you are our guest. Why don't you recommend something to us? But it can't be something that you wrote. And you write a lot of stuff, so just, just remember. Recommendations in terms of, uh, you know, ratings or something? It, it, it can be a reading, it can be a, a tweet, it can be a movie, it can be an event, uh, it can be food. Recommend something to our listeners. Don't worry, I think I'll recommend, uh, you know, two books uh, for um, Gen Africa scholars. One is... Uh, Deborah Vortigan's book. I mean, it might, it is a 2009 publication, The Dragon's Gift. But every time I read it, I just am reminded of the fact that um, it was really one of the original works that uh, set out. Which, and then it's basically a, a large part for even those who are looking, uh, you know, to expand on, uh, expound on country to country or region to region uh, studies, as well as China. Uh, and Africa, you know, David Sheen and Joshua Jonah's book, which is also, you know, a, a century of uh, engagement, which is a fantastic uh, collection of, um, you know, uh, putting together lots of uh, literature that people can uh, look into. I, I think that would be my recommendation, sure. But Bob, I think those are excellent recommendations, and I will let both of the authors, well, uh, I, I, I know uh, Master Shin and, and Professor Brodigan, so I'll be like, hey, Bob Okesa just recommended your book on our podcast, so maybe like two people listen to our podcast, so you might have like two people actually buy your books over Christmas, God willing. Um, sure, sure, that'll be great. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right, um, Dr. Kalu. Um, I have two recommendations this week. The first one I mentioned earlier, which is um, the movie uh, Mandela: Long Walk to Freedom, featuring Idris Elba and Naomi Harris. Um, I will be very honest, though. I thought it was a a lighter retelling of the story, but um, Mandela's story still remains very moving. Um, and I definitely recommend um, that film, that movie, to people when it comes out, I, I think, on Christmas Day. And then my second re recommendation is an op-ed piece that ran in Sahara Reporters um, not too long ago. And... Um, 
it was um, it's a it's a retelling of an of an interview that um, a Nigerian government official in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Nigeria had with um, Nelson Mandela back in 2007. Um, it was it, it's a best, it's a very fascinating conversation, and um, it's the the article itself is called Nigeria was uh, Mandela was angry with Nigeria by Dr. Hakim Baba Ahmed. Um, but one of my favorite quotes um, in it is, um, and I think, I believe, hold on, let me see if I can find the quote exactly. Um, Nelson Mandela says to um, Dr. Ahmed that um, essentially um, the world won't respect Africa until they respect Nigeria, and we've therefore let Nigeria and Africa and the world down um that's a paraphrase but that's essentially the point but it was very thought-provoking so um go ahead and take take some time to look at that it's not too long um it's a quick read so yeah those are my recommendations wow i i i wow yeah that that sounds that sounds really cool as someone who studied nigerian foreign policy i i'm definitely going to get on that after after we finish recording um I have two recommendations. One is uh, Hao Ping recalls the last speech given by Mandela in China, and it's by uh, UNESCO. And it's just a, a really little brief uh, snippet from, from oh gosh, what was his position? This, this dude, Dr. Dr. Hao Ping, he was the president of the General Conference of UNESCO, uh, in memory of Nelson Mandela, and this was an article originally published on December 7th in China Youth Daily, and basically just talking about uh, the speech that, that Mandela gave in uh, 1992. So Mandela visited China in 1992 and, and 1999, and, and so he got, his on, he got an honorary degree in, in law, is that, is that correct, Bob, uh, from, from uh, uh, Peking University from Beida? Oh, okay. And so, just I, I think it's just a cool little little historical piece about uh, about these thoughts on the trip. So, as a historian, I, I like these kinds of stories, as you've noticed if you've been following this podcast. The other thing is this piece uh, made in China, the professional expat. It's by Dineo Bendil, I think. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and if I'm wrong, I apologize. And it's in this, this website, Chinese Joburg. And so, Chinese Joburg. Basically, uh, is is using this um, journalism class from from uh, the Witz journalism class to basically look at uh, Chinese Johannesburg, and, and there are a bunch of different pieces there. So they're all amazing, but this one, I don't know, just kind of spoke to me for some reason, and it's basically talking about this new type of Chinese immigrants to South Africa, skilled, educated professionals. And uh, the 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 main I don't know protagonist of the story uh, Liu Dong, you know he 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 well-educated guy. He likes to play golf on, on his free time. So when most of the people talk about China Africa, they talk about sort of migrant laborers living in like barrack-style housing, kind of a Spartan, lonely life. But this guy and the the people that that are profiled in, in this piece, these different different. Chinese professionals, you know, they're well-educated, they, 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 they're, they're cosmopolitan, but what they see in Africa and what they see the opportunities in, 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 in Africa and South Africa and what it means to be an educated Chinese person with options in life but to go to Africa is really interesting and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. 
that's sort of it. Uh, before we sign off, Bob, how do people find you on the interwebs? Do you have a website or Twitter account? I know, you know, it's the great firewall, so maybe you might yeah, not. Well, how should people find you? Of course, Carl is a branch, is uh, one of us. Yes, yes, thank you, Bob. High five. Right, but, 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 but also, you know, I think I can, as, as of now, obviously because of my location, I'm not available on um, Facebook or Twitter, but uh, shortly I'll be, uh, so when I'm in Kenya or in South Africa, but I can also be found, I, people can read and comment on my pieces on uh, Africa Daily, on uh, Reads China Africa Reporting Blog, and on uh, Eric Orlando's uh, China Africa Project uh, you know, site. Yeah. Yeah. The, yes. Uh, fantastic. And link, uh, of course, uh, of course, on LinkedIn as well. Uh, you know, this blog for sure. Oh, all right, uh, Dr. Kalu. How do people find you? I am on the Twitter sphere um, at Nkem E Kalu. I am also at Calories and Rice. Woo woo. Um, and um, and then I blog at my blog too. <laughs> That's a okay. We will. I will steal all your stuff. Just you know, just so you know. That's fine. Have at it. <laughs> um, yeah, those are the places I can be found. All right, and I can be fine. Sorry, we find. I can be found on calorieswrice.blogspot.com. Uh, where uh, Dr. Kalu and I uh, and, and, and Bob and I just talk about different aspects of the China-Africa relationship and we upload our podcasts and do other stuff. Uh, my Twitter handle is uh, Winslow underscore R and I've been a little slow as of late as I've been moving some stuff around um, in terms of my, my whole life. Uh, so, but I, I'm going to get back on it and, and, and going to be tweeting the finest in China-Africa news and other random thoughts. And you know what? That is about it for today's episode. We would like to thank Bob for joining us this morning and evening and morning again. Bob, what time is it over there right now, just so our listeners know the sacrifice you made for us? Uh, r- right now, yeah. it is one. Yes. So Bob has basically given up his beauty sleep, and he's going to be waking up on Monday very cranky because of us. And and, and for that, I apologize. No, but no, yeah, Bob. With pleasure. With pleasure. Bob, thank you so much. We would like to thank African yeah. Development Jobs and the Africa Daily. This podcast can be found on SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, iTunes. We're going to be pushing out on, on other formats. Uh, we would like to thank Mighty Mike of Pulse Recordings for composing a theme song. And thank you, dear listener, for giving us your time. Take care. Mm-hmm.